Welcome to the RPGBot.podcast. I'm Randall James, and this is the second part of our two-part episode on alignment with the fantastic Dr. Terry McMullen. Oh, uh, Tyler and Random are here, too. Well, is is implicit in that that there is a implicit natural understanding of duty yeah, versus what okay versus what we're nurtured towards yeah yeah interesting yeah no i mean there's and there's problems with all three systems but those are those are the big three those are the big three uh in terms of my own understanding i think it is good i'm a pragmatist which is most close to jane adams which is and this is why i really loved at the very beginning the difference between dogmatism and pragmatism john dewey says almost any moral system can become privative and destructive of human flourishing if it's done dogmatically. Almost anything can become painful. And so I really love trying to have villains that's, that you could almost see them as lawful good, and it's only when you get close that you see they're actually lawful evil. And it really is because they're usually dogmatic. They've put the cart before the horse. They've put the law before the well-being of, of living creatures. I, I want to very neatly tie that back into what we do here, which is let's talk about how that plays into a D&D character. Lawful good, you know, one of the, the four quadrants. I will follow the rules and help all of the people I can while following those rules. Chaotic good, your archetypal Robin Hood. Rob the Rich, don't steal from the poor. <laughs> Lawful evil is... And don't steal the also poor themselves. Also don't steal the poor themselves, yes. Lawful evil, a really interesting one. You know, that, that's your... Using the system to your own benefit, that's sort of your typical, like, oh, I wish I could help you, but something, and you, and that's not someone actively, genuinely wishing they could help you. That's, you know, the, the, uh, dripping with, ha ha, I've manipulated you into this situation. And then, of course, your lawyers and politicians. Uh, well, Is that... mm, mm. And then, mm. and then your chaotic evil of, <laughs> like, I'm just going to, do whatever I want, no regard for consequences or who it hurts. That's your 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 one-sentence summary of each. But now that we've just had like several conversations about what these different axes could mean and about what good actually is, what evil actually is, let's say I do want to pretend I'm still in 3-5 and, and roll up a lawful good paladin. What does that mean you should actually do? I know that this is too vague a question, but like in a situation, say you come across a magic item and, you know, you're like, oh man, I, I could use this and it, it could help me or I could donate it. I could, I could sell this instant fortress and feed, house and clothe a small country for a year. Are you good if you don't do that? We had a very real version of this come up in the campaign that Tyler and I are playing in. Uh, it's Icewindale Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. We murder hoboed this hag, <laughs> but in our defense, she had murder hoboed these dwarves. Uh, so spoilers for Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, go forward like two minutes if you don't want to hear this. We, we did the murder, and we stole this pot, and the pot, I forget what it's called, but basically, like, you had water to it, and if you had water to it, it creates a rich and nourishing uh, stew that can feed something like 30 or 50 or 100 people every eight hours or something ridiculous, right? We didn't go full 
Yeah, we, we didn't go full socialism. We didn't bring it and say, like, for all, please come and have it for free. We didn't go full, like, lazy for capitalism. You know, we weren't charging three bucks if the guy down the street was charging three fifty. We were like, hey, everybody's hungry because the sun hasn't been up in forever and there's no food. Give us a nickel. Like, I want a copper for this. And we raised a little bit of money, and we used it to make connections with folks, and everybody in town got fed. We put an item to use as a public service, and our, I'm not going to call it service, uh, our characters used that as a means to an end to do some legitimately good works. Like, we saved half of ten towns from a dragon burning all of ten towns down. Not with soup. We didn't save the other half, but we saved half. We did. Not with soup, that's true. <laughs> The, the soup wasn't integral to that part. My point is, <laughs> we are we're terrible we're people. No, that's, that's, no, okay. <laughs> Legitimately, and this is, again, towards this, like, we're bad people. Why are we bad people? <laughs> we're in a situation where if we're too late, all of Tin Towns is going to burn down. But if we time it right, we will get to fight the dragon before the city burns down. That has our inn and our mummy. We, we have a yeah. pet mummy. The... Yes. The other option was going to like the seventh town and guaranteeing we saved three towns. And our logic was if our inn burns down, I don't care if the rest of ten towns burns down. <laughs> because there's no consequences to being jerks. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Uh, so like I said, none of our characters are good aligned. But if we were good aligned... We find perhaps an item that we could sell to benefit other people, or we find an item that we could just use to directly benefit other people, like the the Cauldron of Plenty. That was the name of the item. Uh, So you find some item that you could turn to societal benefit. As a good-aligned character of some stripe, are you morally obligated to give up that benefit to yourself in order to help society at large and how much does the benefit to yourself factor into that because like if you have a plus one sword and that's going to keep you alive so you can go save the town from a dragon are you still morally obligated to give up that thing to benefit others i want to make a meta argument i think this only matters if your dm or your game master makes it matter that's true in other words if you're a good aligned character and you sell the plus one sword and donate the money to like a local soup kitchen or orphanage or whatever it may be, and nothing ever comes of it, then at the meta level, you wasted that opportunity. And for you, the player trying to optimize your fun, it was no fun to play to your alignment because it did you no good. If anything, you're an idiot. You're a rube and you fell for it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a, that's a, that's a fair point, right? This is, after all, a game. I think we can. We it, it's a very dynamic game that we can learn a lot about ourselves, and it's and this is why I, I want to start using it more as a teacher. It's wonderful in an explicitly educational setting to, to learn a lot about your motivations. A philosopher named Peter Singer, living philosopher, Australian philosopher, very infamous, very very infamous philosopher. Uh, he's a radical utilitarian. You're aware, you're conscious, you know there are people suffering. He's very strict. There's no ethical reason to keep more than $55,000 a year in the United States. Um, the, the number's slightly different in other countries based on standard of living. Every dime you make past that 
you are saying my nicer car, my more pleasant, comfortable life is more important than stopping a child from dying in a part of the world where that money would make a difference. And you're only doing it because you're not watching the kid die. Um, and he actually has a, a really famous set of examples, the plus one sword or the, the cauldron of, what is it, endless nourishment. Um, for him, it's you're wearing a really nice suit on your way to getting a job, and there's a kid drowning in a pond next to you. First, you know, there's a stick nearby. Of course, oh, sure, I'll extend the stick. Or there's a rope. Sure, I'll throw the rope. There's no sticks, no rope. You're a good swimmer. Do you jump in or not? Well, sure, of course I do. Be monstrous to say my suit's more important than this kid drowning right in front of me. Now I tell you the money you spent on that suit, if you had given it to a certified World Health Organization, you absolutely just saved another kid from death, just as really as you saved that kid from drowning. That's the kind of like bright line, brutal utilitarianism that makes utilitarianism in that understanding really, really, really tough. So were you, were you good? Was it, was it, what's the question? Were you good in keeping that or were you good in holding on to the sword is different, right? Because you could say, I'm going to go slay dragons and save, save people. Uh, so I think you can have a more moral understanding. I, I think, I think selling the soup and then, or having soup, having the, what is it? The donation jar for the soup. That checks out, right? You make yourself a little happier. You feed some people. That 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 works. That's definitely utilitarian. Um, that definitely passes their test. Yeah. Actually, now that you say it, I think what what we did is we actually did put a donation jar out. It, we weren't charging a copper, but we were saying like, oh yeah, just. Well, if that qualifies as good, we're going to have to do something else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll come up with it. Yeah. So bring the dragon back to life. I don't know. Yeah. I, I want to brainstorm for a second. How can we? As dungeon masters or game masters, make alignment and playing to alignment more meaningful. So we've talked about meta currency, whatever it is in your game, whether it be inspiration or something else. That is one simple thing that we can do. Uh, we can give good when you do things that play to alignment, even if in the moment it feels either icky or it feels like it's maybe moving the party backwards. What else could we do? Do, 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 we, do? We all pause as Randall has gone off script. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I like using alignment a lot. I, I, I honestly do. I'm, I'm from this first edition days. The fact that you can be an anything alignment paladin feels so totally wrong to me. Uh, still, I, I'm, not try, I'm not trying to yuck anybody's yum. By all means, do it. I'm just saying that's, that's where my barometer is set. Have a, have a clear understanding of what law and good mean. Right, that is zero session, and then expect people to play to type. I have a a situation. I'll, we're doing a super super homebrewed mutated version of Waterdeep slash Avernus slash you know ten percent of Icewind Dale uh, right now, and um, I'm basically having Vajra uh, become a megalomaniac, and she is twisting the arm of the paladin to go retrieve Nethery's items for her so that she can become powerful because nobody really respects me and I need to have it and I need to be powerful. And she pointed at him point blank, you swore an oath to serve me. Do it or you're an oath breaker. And the, the, the guy who plays the character is like, oh, but I'm a good guy. And so he was like, he walked out. He was like, this sucks. Like, she's, she's practically forcing me to do something wrong. And if I do something wrong, I did something wrong. And if I don't do something 
that my boss tells me to, I broke the law and I'm an oath breaker. And so uh, that actually gave them a really tight, he, he came up with a very clever way to get out of it, which, which had to do with, you know, telling the truth and making sure everybody knew what he was doing. But have a clear understanding of what alignment means and expect your, your players to play to type. The, uh, the alignment that keeps me awake at night, the alignment that scares me, the true wildcat, is true neutral. And the druids from the old days, the, the first edition druids, it's the fact that they could be all loving and Bambi and, and vegan and all that stuff, and then be like, oh, if I want to hit level nine, I got to go kill my teacher. I'll be right back. Because uh, it was the idea that you, once <laughs> that you got to a certain level, you had to kill a druid of the higher level. And it's like, hey, you know, Hakuna Matata, right? It's this is it's uh it's the circle of life, uh, which is that was the alignment that truly was terrifying. That you know, good and evil, they're on a scale. Lawful and evil, lawful and chaos, they're on a scale. That's a little bit different than the Futurama neutral. It's like, you know, <laughs> tell my wife I said hello. Like that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there's something implicit in what we're talking about. You talked about like have the conversation of what the alignment is and then let's let's role play to it. Let's stick to it. Is it the right idea to have our players pick their alignment? Or is it better to say let's play for a little bit and let's get a feeling? And and what you pointed out I think is probably right that okay, if you're a paladin, you have this oath, that's probably going to dictate to some extent what your alignment is. But for a lot of other classes, Maybe it is acceptable to like, hey, let's get through like three sessions, then let's pick our heads up and see what we think is actually happening. Well, and so here's another really interesting thing: just because it's written on your character sheet doesn't mean it's written in stone. If you start a campaign as one alignment, and you realize I, I am role playing these decisions and I am changing, then you can just shift that and. If you think about what we are doing as cooperative storytelling, that's character growth. This paladin that I played that I so often talk about started life as a lawful neutral paladin with zero intention of helping people for the sake of helping people. And before we went into Death House, had to turn and look at his traveling companions and say, do I care enough to help these two little orphans here who want me inside their house? And they said yes. And so I said, okay, great. My my bond is to my, my group. They say we're going in. I'll go in. And then by the end of it was doing good kind of for good's sake. That sort of character growth is what we want from story. That's something that humans really enjoy. And getting to act that out, you can absolutely have the mechanical change. You know, go from your your lawful neutral to your lawful good. If you realize, let's say that you've been um, raised in a very straight-laced conservative environment and then as you get out there, maybe you realize, wait, I can just I can just take this guy's stuff and run, and he can't stop me. Maybe you've been acting in a lawful manner, but your character actually wanted to be chaotic, wanted to explore this stuff. And so maybe you do that, and, and that can be a really cool piece of character building. And then maybe you decide, okay, well, I've, I've gotten tired of this, and I've gotten tired of the negative consequences. I'm going to go back to being maybe neutral. All of this stuff is just a way to think about the character you're playing. And it should not be that the letters dictate how you play. It should be that how you play influences what that character does over time and how we describe it. 
you you said a few interesting things in what you said. So one, for instance, you have this evil or chaotic characters who grows tired of the consequences. I think implicit in that is that DM has to build in consequences for those actions. Uh, and then two, I, I think you've maybe still asked the question that I'm asking. Does it make sense to write something down because it's what you think your character is going to be? Or does it make sense to write nothing down, play for a little bit, and then realize kind of where we're at, what's actually happening? I personally, I mean, having played a lot of characters at this point, I find it very helpful to have a place to start. Having a place to start is much easier to say, okay, well, I I have some basic concept of this character, but do I want to lean towards neutral good? Do I want to lean towards lawful evil? If you want to start from your lawful evil and say, no, okay, let's shade that up to lawful neutral. Maybe I, maybe the rest of the group, you know, is leaning enough that I, I should not be doing things that are um, inflicting cruelty on others. But I think that it's really important to give you a place to work from, rather than just try and muddy your way through and write it down what you're just what you're experiencing playing. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I've had a lot of characters who I brought in session one and said, I'm going to play this, this alignment. Yeah, like it lasts a session or two. And then I said, like, I want to take this character a different direction. Like the paladin that I played in Random's Rise of the Rootlord game, uh, Gilder, he, he was a capitalist paladin. And let me tell you how hard it is to be a brutal <laughs> capitalist who is lawful good. It, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, the the alignment shifted over time as I figured out the character. And also as the entire table made fun of the capitalist paladin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that character. That was so much fun. Yeah, like Random said, your alignment doesn't have to dictate how you play and alignment can change your dm doesn't have to dictate to you your character is now chaotic evil for your actions like there is a point where if you're saying no my character is still lawful good and everyone around you saying like no this is chaotic evil you might need to discuss it with your party but if you're intentionally deviating from that philosophical outlook that you stated for your character initially yeah just change your alignment it's a bit of text on the sheet of paper and in fifth edition it has essentially no mechanical effect so changing it doesn't cost anything in three five the best alignment to be was neutral because there were a bunch of alignment based effects like smite evil and smite good and things like that that just didn't affect you if you were true neutral so min maxers always be true neutral on three (laughs) five but fifth edition it's it's purely a descriptive marker for your character's beliefs and actions. So yeah, if if your character changes, if your actions change, change your alignment. So how often should a party discuss their alignment and how they think about the alignment of the actions they're taking? That is a great session zero question because... Yes, I agree. As a DM, realistically, there's a few things that you need to be considerate of. As a DM, you only have so much bandwidth. Particularly if you've been listening to a lot of our episodes and you're trying to incorporate several things, maybe there's just too much and alignment is not a thing you want to focus on. But maybe, you know, you want to say, all right, we're going to start up this campaign. We're going to start at this little one shot or maybe even just an arc within a campaign. And we're going to say, there's going to be some moral quandaries. There's going to be some real examination of motivations. And we're going to actually dig into like, 
like Terry did in uh, a couple times during his class, we're going to play through this and then we're going to sit here for like half an hour and discuss the moral implications of what you just did because that was some murder hoboing or because, you know, that was <laughs> legitimate good created in the service of, well, the Epic of Gilgamesh in this case, that could be a really cool way to play. Probably not all the time, but I would absolutely want to incorporate some of that into, you know, maybe let's do this for a few levels and see what that does. To, to answer the question, how, how much should you talk about alignment? I think that really depends on the table. If, if it's a, a fun hack and slash game, you know, have at it. The, most of the people that I play with, it, we really do lean into the collective improvisational storytelling. And I think... I try to think of alignment as, again, I mean, it's right in the word, right? It's like it's a direction. It's not fixed. It's not absolute. And sometimes your your direction changes. But I think it's really helpful for everyone to kind of have a sense of how they're going to approach the vulnerable person, how they're going to approach the choice between their own, you know, self-interest and the needs of others and, and things like that. So I, th- I think it's actually a really helpful narrative tool. I have found I talk about it more if I have new players. If we're doing it for a long time, I actually use the tier system. And so at, you know, at, you know, level five and level 11, I'll say like, hey, you know, maybe. And I and I did this, you know, you're you're you said neutral good, but maybe you're more chaotic good. And, and again, my, my best friend in the world who really is acting like neutral evil, one shade away from sociopath, but he's like, nope, nope, I'm, I'm neutral good. And I'm like, I, okay, I guess I'm not going to force you, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I like to revisit it. I like to revisit it at the tiers, at the tier points and kind of tweak it there. But, but I, I, I think it's dialogical. There's an interaction between what the alignment is and how your character plays and how your character plays will over time affect your alignment. And I think it's, it's uh, I think this is something random said uh, a while ago. This is character growth, um, you know, and this is part of a, you know, the cool arc of somebody like Heisenberg in Breaking Bad. Uh, he was not as evil at the beginning, as he was where he wound up. Um, and it has to do with how the campaign went, basically. So not all the time, but I think it's nice to have a beat every now and again to assess, to think about it, and en- and encourage people to maybe reflect if they want to tweak it a little bit. I really like that bit of advice, uh, discussing it at the tier breaks and also at session zero. Like, So we're going to do an episode on session zero very soon. And doing kind of a miniature session zero at every tier break, like as the story evolves, as things progress really makes sense. And I honestly, that's a good piece of advice I hadn't heard and discussing alignment in your first session zero can really solve a lot of problems. Like there's kind of a classic joke in the D and D space, the, the lawful stupid paladin, and then the chaotic random, like R-A-N-D-U-M-B, random, rogue generally. But those problematic characters who play some wacky alignment that causes problems, like you have the law, the extremely dogmatic lawful good paladin, which especially in 3.5 where you had to be that character to be a paladin, that can cause a ton of problems for everyone else in the group. Like one of the things in the... One of the things in the Paladin note in 3.5, you can't be in a party with an evil character. You can't cooperate with an evil character. And to make sure that you're not accidentally cooperating with evil characters, 
paladins can cast detect evil, which uh, in 5e it just detects basically outsiders. In 3-5, you detected creatures alignment. So like you could look at you could look around a room and be like, ah, which of you are evil? I'm not allowed to talk to any of you, or I'll lose all my paladin powers. So characters like that, like knowing that someone wants to play that character ahead of time, very, very important. And it's also a great time if anyone writes chaotic neutral rogue on their character, give them a good hard look and say, murdering shopkeepers and taking their stuff is not chaotic neutral. Right. right. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really interesting. I play a lot of Adventurers League, which which is meant to be, you know, mobile and a pickup game. Um, what is it? Through edition, uh, through season nine, I think they said, okay, you can be lawful evil, but... Um, and then they had all these things about, like, you know, no PvP and all this stuff. And then I think it was in Season 10, they said, you know what? Not even lawful evil. You just... No, no evil characters. And it's for exactly this idea. A truly evil person will stab another member of the party in the back. And it's really hard to have players have cooperative fun if one person says, I don't have to cooperate. I'm evil. So, yeah. So I, I think you're absolutely right. Talking about it at the Session Zero is critical. But, but I find it really interesting that as, as we go on, even in Adventures League, the official play, they had to just kind of move move alignment evil <laughs> off to the side uh, for exactly these problems so what's interesting like we we often talk about the idea of the social fix like getting together together with your friends and saying okay look that isn't acceptable or we're not going to do things this way i imagine the problem with a proper pickup game is you don't even have the social fix like somebody could come in be a complete jerk wreck the party and like all right well i'm out i'm going to go to the next uh, uh game store next time i want to play and not deal with the consequences of my actions and that's where we see meta lawful evil <laughs> yeah i I mean realistically you know i I will admit in in my misguided youth i have definitely done some detractive to the party actions as a a chaotic neutral rogue and that's a thing that some people are going to want to explore as long as in the session zero you understand we're all here for a good time there may be some sometimes that we are three four five people there will be times when we disagree on what the best fun is let's just yes and in the moment and then talk about it afterwards i, I think that that's really really important to set in every session zero because without it you're gonna have a bad time yeah that's well said all right Oh, perfect. I think we did it. I think I think that was a whole conversation on alignment and how to use alignment in your game. We have a question of the week this week. This week, our question of the week comes to us from Roxy Not Lalonde on Twitter. If a person becomes a vampire and does some wrongdoing, who would not normally be inclined towards that wrongdoing? Are they morally culpable for their actions? Why Why did we pick this question this week? It felt <laughs> random, real weird. <laughs> it felt... Yeah, felt very timely. Yeah, I got asked this on Twitter literally yesterday, and I did not have an answer. So somebody help me out last. here. I, the philosopher, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to jump in. I promise. Here's okay. a really interesting thing. Back in the um, Errata 3.0 stuff, we were talking about monster alignments. Are there some things that are inherently absolute good, absolute evil? So undead, particularly not mindless undead. Like, a skeleton I would not call inherently evil. A skeleton is more a force of nature, or 
necromancy in this case. Or unnature. Exactly. Also a xylophone. (laughs) (laughs) A conscious undead, like a vampire, has the choice to do things that are considered evil versus the choice to do things that are not considered evil. And because I so often bring in random pop culture references, let's look at Joss Whedon's Buffy. You have the character Angel, a vampire who got a soul put back in him, and then his own spinoff, um, because David Boreanaz was too pretty to cancel. <laughs> the, the interesting thing there is that, so in this lore, being a vampire means you don't have a soul, and so the soul is the, the thing around which morality happens. So when he got a soul, suddenly he could feel remorse, and that remorse is what prevented him from eating people and throwing them off buildings and whatnot. If vampires in your world are, you know, your typical Bram Stoker Dracula vampire where they're just, they have to consume people and they're maybe so bored with societal norms because they've been around for thousands of years. Oh, wait, that's Strahd. And yeah, (laughs) Strahd's evil. But could you have a vampire that was good? Absolutely. You absolutely could. If a vampire does wrongdoing, then unless you have written into the lore of your world that they have some reason why that was no longer a choice, yes, absolutely, they are culpable. All right. So I think in 5e, vampires, when they become a vampire, become evil. That is part of becoming a vampire. But why? Because vampires bad. I didn't want to answer like this the, question. The D&D vampire. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Where was I going with that thought? I, vampires bad. So a perfectly good aligned character could become, like in this question, yeah. Good aligned character becomes a vampire against their will. They become evil. They're now motivated to act in an evil way. And this is one of those kind of cases where alignment is prescriptive rather than descriptive and i guess i guess that is yeah that's literally strahd there's um two things there's there's a there's a bit where where the buddha is is talking to his followers and they say you know in in hinduism they think there's these six different realms uh and one of them is the realm of the gods and one of them is the realm of the hungry ghosts he says oh what if you're what if you're wrong and you go to the realm of the hungry ghosts he says well if i find myself there I will talk to these hungry ghosts like I do to you, and I will teach them about the wrongness of attachment, and I will teach them about the wrongness of ignorance, and I will teach them about the wrongness of hatred. And basically says, I'll preach to them just like I preach to you, because if they're aware, it's the same. And then he goes all the way around the cycle, and they even gets, what if you're right and you go to the gods? And I love this. He's like, I will preach to them about the wrongness of attachment. And it's like, I don't care if they're gods. They also could improve. They also have problems. I think the Buddha would say, if the Buddha was speaking to a vampire, and they're like, oh, I'm so hungry, I need to feed. And we're like, do you? I'm sure you want to. Do you have to? Random gave us Joss Whedon's Buffy. Check out The Addiction, 1995 film with Lily Tomlin, and she's a philo- I'm biased. She's a philosophy graduate student who gets bit. And it starts with like a reference to like heroin and vampirism. She's walking around the streets looking for a, a victim, and she sees this old guy talking to himself about Kierkegaard. 
and she goes to feed on him, and he swings around with lightning speed, and it's Christopher Walken, <laughs> who's a vampire who won't feed. Interesting. And he says vampires, most vampires are weak. They have bad faith. They're moral cowards. Do Are we culpable? Uh, to answer the question, absolutely. If we have a choice and we do it, we're culpable. Tyler, you're absolutely right. The the it, once you become a vampire, you become evil. That's that's part of the you know that's that's maybe not the best writing. That's their orientation, but they shouldn't have to be. If they have a conscious will, they make a choice. Uh, to answer the question, I would say you're more morally culpable if you have like if it's painful for you to not feed. But if you have a choice, you have a choice about how to do it better and worse. These vampires, they walk in the street. Yeah, oh my God. You have, people to you have to see it. And it's Christopher Walken <laughs> doing Kierkegaard. And that's that's how he survives. It's, it's all Kierkegaard, which is all about freedom. Uh, and you have to choose yeah, okay. every moment. Uh, it's so freaking good. Uh, it's such a good movie. The Addiction. I feel like I need to take a look at this. Okay. That's going to be good in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> I want to take an answer to this question in a slightly different direction. So I feel like there's maybe three tiers of it. One, let's talk about real life for a second. Uh, with what we know today about traumatic brain injury, there are people who do terrible things who we now have an understanding. They are not who they once were. They are literally a changed person and probably the person they were before their traumatic brain injury would also not like the things that have happened. We still hold them accountable. We still, uh, you know, will we'll imprison this sort of thing. With that depressing note, I want to take it to the game world where you asked a question. I feel like there's almost two implied questions. One if your characters are having an argument of philosophy, what is the argument for them to be culpable and not culpable? And then second, and I think which is another interesting, how will the society around you view this? Because your hero might be sitting there screaming. It's like, no, wait, they got bit against their will. They didn't want to become a vampire. The villagers are still going to burn the vampire if they can. And and I think... That's that that third question is maybe the most interesting is like what is going to be the dynamic between how the party feels about the event, how the party feels about the actions, and what they're willing to do to defend their neighbor, their party member, most likely, if I understand the question correctly, which is to say they're probably gonna try to save the party member, versus how the society around them is going to view this. And how far will they take that defense for the person in their most inner ring of their compassion circle versus everyone else? What if there's a way to reverse that thing that changed their behavior? A person goes from good person, becomes a vampire, does evil as a vampire, and then either it, like has an opportunity to go back to being a good person or is made to go back to being a good person in some way. Are they still morally culpable for the things that they did while they were acting evilly against their their good aligned will like at the time it may have been yes i'm very willingly doing these evil things but when they return to their former good aligned self are they still morally culpable for those actions i think i would still use kind of the way that i talked about it a second ago the party probably honestly is still mm -hmm. going to defend that character and the villagers are still going to want to burn the former vampire Oh, I want to, okay, I want to twist yours one more. What if you, what if you had some material gain? Like you somehow got a kingdom because you were a vampire for a minute and you did something cool. Do you have to give up the gains that you got? Yeah, literally your ill-gotten gains. Do you have to give them up in order to re return to being good? I wouldn't say necessarily you have to give them up in order to return to being good. I would say that if you are actually going to act 
in a good manner, you should give them up. But I could do so much more good with them in my control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Boy, that, that sounds uh, real lawful shading towards tyrant there, right? So I, I, I would say that that almost goes back to Whedon's version of a vampire. Like, yeah, you get your soul back. Now you should feel remorse. And remorse should drive you to do things like give back the kingdom to where it rightly or where it yeah rightly came from something like that yeah hey I, I think that uh we're, we're definitely on the yes you are morally culpable and whether you are or aren't you're probably going to be held accountable <laughs> <laughs> all right folks uh thanks a lot we're going to do this live i'm going to look to uh my podcast mates uh next week we're finally going to do session zero yeah we sure are. all right it's going to happen and we mean it this time I'm Randall James. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jack Amateur and at AmateurJack.com. I'm Tyler Kamstra. You'll find me at RPGBot.net, Facebook and Twitter at RPGBOTDOTNET, and Patreon.com slash RPGBot. Uh, I'm Random Powell. You will find me contemplating the very natures of the or very nature of the universe, because dang, what a talk we've just had. But in general, you're going to find me here on RPG Bot contributing to the podcast and some articles. In real life, you will find me, Terry McMullen, at Eastern Washington University in the Department of English and Philosophy. And uh, you can also find me on Facebook and on Twitter at PhilosophyDM. All right. And we will put links in the show notes. So if you want to reach out or if you want to follow, you'll be able to find uh, Terry in the show notes. Thank you again for having me. It was a real treat. Thank you so, so much. This was a lot of fun. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you for and thank you for joining us. I have learned a lot. Thanks. Yeah, this was an amazing conversation. Uh, I have to say, selfishly, I'm really looking forward to the notes getting put together for this. I think it's going to be a fantastic document. Please send me an email. I'm I'm, I'm happy to give you lots of lots of sources too. <laughs> I'm just like imagining suddenly eight wiki links to various philosophers. Like here we go. <laughs> There you go. There you, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. And also Buffy the yeah. Vampire Slayer. The Addiction. Oh, and hey, my, my colleague Mimi, Mimi yes. Aranucci, she, she, uh, she teaches classes on Buffy the Vampire's philosophy. So, yeah. That's awesome. So now we have to add links to those classes, the syllabus. There, oh, there's a huge, huge world of, of, of uh, pop culture and philosophy out there. So lots of good books on that. Okay. So uh, if, if you're listening right now, take a look at the show notes. There's some great stuff there. <laughs> all right, all hail the Leisure Illuminati. Hail. 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 You'll find affiliate links. <laughs> You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes. Following these links helps us to make the show happen every week. You can find our podcast wherever podcasts are distributed, especially the fine ones. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe, and uh, please share with your friends. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at rpgpot.net or message us on Twitter at rpgbotdotnet. Thanks, folks. Okay, here's the deal. When I made the xylophone joke, I think random. We went like. Burp, burp. <laughs> What was he did. So I, I, what I actually did was, which is the thanks, Mr. Skeletal.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.